Good evening, everybody, and welcome to tonight's show. It's uh, Monday Night Live. Monday Night Live, like Saturday Night Live, except it's Monday night. And speaking of Saturday Night Live, did anybody watch uh, Saturday Night Live this weekend? I did not. However, I did catch the um some of the content from it some clips from it because of some controversy that i had heard about in regards to dave chappelle apparently dave chappelle was doing snl dave chappelle has become a very polarizing figure for some of his comedy and um, he said a lot of really uh, Dave Dave Chappelle likes to punch down on uh, marginalized communities. I mean, that's where I stand with the thing. Here's the thing about Dave Chappelle. I think Dave Chappelle is really funny. I think he is really clever. And I think that he is he he really is. Uh, he He's he's a fetching linguist. I that was stupid. Not a fetching linguist. I like he's he's just really good with words. He's very, very crafty. And as reflected in what we're going to look at in just a second, I think Dave Chappelle wastes his talents on just really, really like ignorant, stupid stuff, I guess. And you really have to look no further than, say, uh, George Carlin. You listen to what George Carlin has said uh, about this sort of stuff, about punching down on marginalized communities. But that's not what we're here to talk about necessarily. That's not that's not like the point of tonight's chat. Um, we're going we're we're using this as a segue. To discuss something else because i gotta tell you i watched chappelle's monologue and i was disturbed by what he was saying um you know part of the problem too oh there's a lot of problems it's there's so much to talk about that i'm almost tongue-tied one of the one of the big problems let's start off right here let's set a precedent for the discussion here and i see comments and i will get to the comments later i just really want to stay on folk uh, on point here's something that people don't seem to understand about anti-semitism and jews and yada 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 i'm a jew by the way in case this is your first time here and you are watching my show for the first time um no one gets to tell us what is or is not anti-Semitic unless they too are a Jew. That's just how it works, man. You can't tell me that I'm overreacting to something that you don't understand. And you can't possibly understand it unless you've really studied it or unless you yourself are a Jew who has experienced it. And that has left Jews, not all Jews, but that has left many Jews very sensitive towards anti-Semitic, potentially anti-Semitic statements and ideas. Because while 
you know, to, to, I don't want to compare and contrast. I don't want to, I don't want to minimize any other, you know, minorities, you know, struggles in the same sort of way. All I'm going to say is that we are, we are very, we're very sensitive to this sort of stuff because it's something that it's an ongoing theme in our history. And, you know, there's always, there's always someone out there trying to get us, man. That's what it is. That's what, honestly, what it is. That's kind of like what it is, but whatever. Um, I have some, I bookmarked some things, some people who are way more elegant than me in the way that they talk. And I think it would be better to sort of read their statements because I really think they just, they nailed it so succinctly instead of me just circling around and circling around, circling around, circling around. So to get back to what I was saying, I think Dave Chappelle is a brilliant comedian. I think he has great capacity to be funny. And I think that he focuses on certain things or he like, he's so focused on being controversial. He's so focused on being controversial or he's so focused on like, you know, being trying to be provocative that or trying to challenge ideas that he personally doesn't agree with or whatever that he just, he loses it, man. He loses it. And he, he ends up, you know, saying really damaging things, really damaging things. Cause here's the thing, his comedy, you know, he hides behind, and this is the problem. Here's the problem with comedy. Comedy is like a sacred art form and comedians in particular feel super passionate about protecting the sacred art form, the sacred speech. But what happens when comedy becomes a delivery system for hate or for prejudice or for stereotypes where it's going beyond what it's, it's intent where, where it can actively cause harm, you know, that sort of thing. And so let me, let me, let's, let's keep going here because we're, this is, this is just the intro to, to what I want to discuss here. This is just the intro. Let's, let's, uh, let's go here first. This is a great, here is a great example of how damaging of the damage that I'm talking about of the problem when comedians, when comedians, you know, uh, not all comedians, when, you know, when this thing, th this is the thing that everybody's worried about right here. I'm going to show you the problem with comedy. Sometimes I'm not saying, and I, by the way, I just want to emphasize comedy should not be, I'm not saying that comedy should be censored, but I'm saying that, with comedy, there comes a certain responsibility, man. And that it may be if your comedy is damaging or hurting marginalized peoples who deal with threats of violence or deal with, with threats to, to bodily harm, then maybe um, that should be taken. That should be looked at. That's the point. And look no further than this screenshot. White supremacist proud of Dave Chappelle today. White pill prole. The Dave Chappelle thing is great. Talk about the reality of Jewish power. Talking about the reality of Jewish powers being normalized. He's doing it in a very soft and respectful way. 
There's a chain reaction of celebrities drawing attention to it with no end in sight. I think the Jews ought to be terrified. The rhetoric doesn't have to be hateful. Once the spell is broken and a concept like Jewish power, this is in quotation marks, doesn't seem crazy, the next most natural thought is, this is what Hitler had to deal with? This destroys the entire mythology of the liberal world order. Take that last part again, okay? And this is, again, this is the type of shit. These are the dog whistles. This is the, These are the people that are receiving the very subtle signal that's that's layered within the comedy. Let's take that last part again. The rhetoric doesn't have to be hateful. And this is in regards to Dave's very soft and respectful way that he is talking about the so-called quote-unquote Jewish power, right? And then what this guy, White Pill Prol, in this Twitter comment, what this guy is now asking He's now asking, now that you now that we're normalizing the discussion of Jewish power, let's jump to the next step. Let let's let's take a look at from Hitler's POV. Maybe we can empathize with Hitler. That's kind of what he's saying. Is this what Hitler had to deal with? The idea that we are do you see where the path goes? And this is these are the types of people that are picking up what's being put down in some way, shape, or form, which brings me to this next comment. And again, I, you know, I could have sat here and tried to read this and pretend it was my own. It's not this guy. This guy is brilliant. This guy is, is a brilliant guy. This guy is a black Jewish rabbi. Okay. Talk about three different like points of intersectionality. Cause what you may or may not realize is that Jews we come in all shapes and sizes and um there are plenty of black jews out there just in the way that you have what i i am an ashkenazi jew an eastern european jew okay you have mezrahim jews my wife is a mezrahim jew okay um mezrahim jews are iraqi mixed with uh north uh, well, she's also North Libyan. In any case, let me read you what this what this black Jewish rabbi has said, and this is this is where I think I think he really just sort of nails it. Ready? Here we go. Follow me on this tra- uh, this thread, if you will. Uh, this guy says, "No, I did not watch SNL. More accurately, I only watched the cold open and the weekend update." But I have, but having seen the monologue clips shared on Twitter, refusing to give YouTube the views, two things are apparent. One, Dave Chappelle is still a genius. No arguing that at all, man. Dave Chappelle is absolutely a genius in what he does. Can't can't be denied. Um, but two, he definitely emboldened anti-Semitism. Ready? We're gonna go down this thread here that he emboldened anti-Semitism. I could not agree more. As you could see, I hearted and retweeted all of his, his things. This is his thread. His monologue is a masterclass in rib-nudging, eye-winking, plausible deniability that mixes in just enough real commentary that you almost don't realize that he never denounces 
Kanye, Kyrie, the other guys, Kyrie, for their views, but for their big mouths. So, and that's true, man. And I didn't have to read that to take that away. I was reserving my judgment until I watched the um watched it myself to see what was what. Okay. Um, and that is absolutely what I saw. There is there is a real comedy being strung through, and the real comedy is that there is a a, a, a Jewish power, and if you mess with that Jewish power, you're going to be shut down. And that Kanye was was uh, foolish just for speaking up that he should have kept his mouth shut. That's what it was, man. Um, and it's true; he does not denounce Kanye for his views. He took the very real kernel of fact. Ferguson is full of black people, but they don't run anything. And instead of continuing that comparison with Hollywood is full of Jews, but they don't control it, he stops at Hollywood is full of Jews and it isn't crazy to think they control it. How about that? How about that? It's just crazy to say it. Right. So Chappelle is not Chappelle is not like, you know, and notice the irony of starting off his his monologue with I denounce anti-Semitism and I stand with my Jewish brethren. That's a whole that's all part of his masterclass of 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 the subtle, the subtle insidious nature by which he weaves this commentary, man, that you have I have to hand it to Chappelle. He's brilliant, man. He's brilliant. Um, he's brilliant in the wrong way, but he's brilliant. Um, they call him the goat for the reason, and that is why. He went on SNL, which is, you know, uh, headed by Lorne Michaels, who's Jewish, and spoke on national television, doubling down on what Kanye West was saying and made everybody think that he was ribbing Kanye West when he wasn't, right? Um, also the backlash against the two specific people for spreading anti-Semitism, that was Kanye and Kerry, uh, is not, uh, sorry. Also the black, the backlash against two specific people for spreading anti-Semitism is not blaming black people for Jewish suffering. It was disingenuous of him to present it as such and also masterfully insidious. Uh, his opening statement and jokes about apologies smacked all of the bullshits. You hush up now, Kanye. Yous are going to get us into trouble with them. And that's the thing. It's this idea of of Jews being other, the shadow, the shadow cabal. That's that that is secretly going to get us all. Go on now, get. Uh, is there? Is there legitimate contemporary? Uh, sorry, is there legitimate commentary to be made about disproportionate and often racialized vitriol in response to anti-Semitism from people of color that isn't matched in fervor when the shoe is on the other foot? Sure, the JOCs of Twitter have long been saying this. The JOC, by the way, is Jews of color, like our friend here, who is the black Jewish rabbi. But this monologue, nah. But it was morbidly, I love this. This is the perfect way to describe it. It was morbid. What Dave Chappelle did 
was morbidly impressive and depressing to see Chappelle flip anti-Semitic criticism with the inverse dog whistling that is often employed in anti-Black rhetoric. Inverse dog whistling. No to do about it like there's nothing like there's nothing to do to dave Chappelle. i don't think i mean there's nothing he's not you know here's the funny thing and then this is going to bring us into um the, uh, the topic at hand this idea of like oh oh you know like to, should, you know this idea of cancel culture should, silencing people should dave Chappelle be canceled do you cancel comedians can you censor comedy i think the answer to all these questions is nothing you don't do anything you just have conversations about it. No one can stop Dave Chappelle from telling his jokes. Nobody, quite clearly, Dave Chappelle, Dave Chappelle, you know, uh, here's Dave Chappelle after all of his controversy. Here he is on SNL. Dave Chappelle has not been canceled. You know, he hasn't. He, he really hasn't. Um, I, I think... I think if anything, the, the one thing to do is to do what we're doing right now is talk about it. Just talk about it. Shine light on what it is. Shine light on what it really is. And I think um, Ma, Ma Nishtana, as he's called, Ma Nishtana, that's, uh, that's Hebrew. Ma Nishtana. It's from a song. Ma Nishtana here, uh, black Jewish rabbi, perfectly outlines and breaks it down for us and for anybody who wants this thread here let me just if anybody wants to read this again check this out it's in the comments right now check out this thread i think it it really reflects um it just it just nails it on the head so what is dave Chappelle saying dave Chappelle said here's something that okay so here's the other thing that dave Chappelle said he said that um you know if it's black people it's a gang if it's jew if it's italian people it's a mob and if it's jewish people it's a coincidence meaning that that you know any accusation against against jews is unfounded or whatever that jews are beyond any sort of criticism that we're that we're too um that we are are too sensitive and we are beyond any sort of criticism you can't criticize us in any way shape or form um, but like I said, I don't think, I don't think you get to decide that if you're not Jewish, man, that's the bottom line. If you're not a Jew, you don't get to decide what is or is not offensive to Jews. It's, it's really that cut and dry. When Dave Chappelle says, and Jews are a coincidence, Italians are a mob, blacks are a gang and Jews are a coincidence. That's bullshit, man. Because there's a thousand names for Jews. We have a thousand names. And some of them go back as far as a millennia, man. So it's like, so it's like he's presenting that what he is dealing as very real commentary disguised as comedy. And, you know, here, look, we have somebody, look at this. We have we already have our uh we have our first uh anti-Semitic conspiracy theory in the comments already. The Khazars. Yeah. Oh my God. My Wi Fi. I can't afford my Wi Fi. Ah, Wi Fi is acting up. Oh no. Oh no. My Wi Fi. Ah, my Wi Fi. Oh, oh man. Um, 
in any case, the idea, the idea that basically the, the idea that, you know, we don't have a thousand names. We do. And the Khazars is another one. There's another great example. This is straight. This is a straight up anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. The Khazars, right? You can Google it if you want. I'm not even going to waste any time explaining what it is. The point is that we have lots and lots and lots of names. And Dave Chappelle is trying to frame it as that we are untouchable, that we are above it all. And they're not. We are not. We get it all the time. I'm getting it in the comments right now. There you go. Right. So so there you have it. Now, that brings us to this idea, this notion of what Dave Chappelle is saying in his comedy, in his stand up, in his monologue. What is Dave Chappelle saying? Dave Chappelle is saying that Jews run Hollywood or that it's possible that Jews, it's likely that Jews run Hollywood, whatever, whatever the, the myriad of things, right? In the same way that he said that just because there's a lot of, uh, that just because there's a lot of black people in Ferguson does not necessarily mean that black people run Ferguson. Was that the quote? Something like that. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. The, 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 the reality is, is that while Jews don't, run necessarily run or control all of hollywood there are a lot of jews in hollywood you know what i'm saying thank you thank you james for supporting the channel he says about to crash but wanted to stop by for a second i'll catch the download shalom my brother much love thank you james um the idea that Jews control Hollywood is it's weird because at the bottom line, Jews sort of built Hollywood, right? And there's a reason why Jews built Hollywood. And we're, that's what we're going to dive into how Jews built Hollywood. But here's the reality. Here's the, here's the overall reality. If Jews were really truly in control of Hollywood, the way Dave Chappelle wants to elude or Kanye or anybody else, you know, and that was how Dave Chappelle sort of ended, you know, his thing. He said, he said, Kanye, your big problem wasn't that what you said, it was that you took the sneaker deal because they can take that away from you. It's this idea that the Jews punished Kanye West and that the Jews can punish anybody that stands up to them or, you know, calls them out or is hateful towards them. So then why is someone like Mel Gibson still working? John of Doom's favorite guy, Mel Gibson. Why is Mel Gibson still working? Huh? Why is he still making movies? Was he nominated for an Oscar in 2016 for Hacksaw Ridge? Something like that which I watched, by the way, I saw Hacksaw Richards, good movie. Um, but that's my point, is that Mel Gibson is, is, is very, he had some rough years for a while where he wasn't getting work. Mel Gibson is, is out there, right? You know, all these people are still out there, you know, like it's not like that. Nobody's been silenced. It's bullshit. It's complete bullshit, man. Um, let's look now at, how Hollywood, how Hollywood was built by American Jews. That's what really what I wanted to bring this all to. And my intro was a little bit longer than I wanted it to be. So I'll make a 
button where you can skip and come directly here. There's really, there's so much, there's so much more that I want to say about, you know, that like the, this conversation about comedy, because it's really not cut and dry. I think it's really weird. I don't want comedy to be censored. I don't think comedy should be censored. I do think some comedy is really hurtful. And I do think some comedy can be really damaging to marginalized communities. That's the reality of the situation. I think Dave Chappelle um, is wrong for his views on the trans community. I think Dave Chappelle is wrong for his views on Jews. I also think Dave Chappelle is a brilliant comedian. I can think all of these things. Um, I think that it's a, a tangled mess of a situation. And um, and I also think, I just want to clarify um, that, like I said, I, I think the solution is just to talk about it's just to talk about it, really. So let's dive into this now. Enough enough of this uh, intro. As a matter of fact, before we get started, let's go to our sponsor real quick. Riotstickers.com is our sponsor for this channel. We love Riotstickers.com. They, um, they do a fantastic, marvelous job printing stickers. As you can see right here, these stickers have a UV coating, which protects them from the sunlight. Uh, they're printed on vinyl, which makes them waterproof. And we're doing a special deal. You can get three inch by three inch stickers. Uh, you can get a thousand stickers for $79. That's seven cents per sticker. Okay. Um, yes, Dan, that is correct. They are the bomb. Uh, you can only get this deal through our U URL right here, ridestickers.com backslash from us, F R U. M E S S that's riotstickers.com backslash from us. Check it out. Riotstickers.com riot stickers. We are the bomb. Not going to find that deal anywhere else. It's a great deal. I'm going to play the little less than Jake song. And then we're going to dive in and talk about how the Jews built Hollywood. Okay, we're back. Let us dive right in. Let us dive right into our discussion here. How American Jews built Hollywood. And this is absolutely intrinsically, intrinsically, is that the right way to say that? This is so tied to everything that Dave Chappelle was saying in his SNL monologue. And um, it really is the perfect like way to dive into the subject. So let's 
do that right now. This is by Stuart Weinstock. It was written on December 14th, 2021. How American Jews built Hollywood. Uh, whatever you may have seen online, possibly tweeted by your least favorite uncle, Jewish people do not quote unquote run Hollywood. Studios today are small units of giant corporations run by all sorts of people. However, it is true that Jewish Americans, many who were recent um, uh, immigrants, uh, i.e. Carl, I'm going to butcher these last names, Carl Lamal, Lamal, Adolf Zucker, Sam Goldwyn, were some of the founders of key Hollywood studios, along with others who were not Jewish, like Thomas Inc. Incy, Max Sennett, and Walt Disney. What inspired so many Jews to join the early film industry and what was their lasting impact on American culture? Here you go. Here, here is a picture of the famous players. Uh, this is uh, the Lansky Corporation left to right. You have Jesse L. Lansky, Jewish. Uh, Adolf Zucker, Jewish. Samuel Goldwyn. Goldwyn is a very... Um, a, a very recognized last name because of if you know MGM, then you know who he is. He's Jewish. Cecil B. DeMille, famous film director, did uh, the Ten Commandments. He's Jewish. And Al Kaufman. Uh, many of these Jewish Americans came from vaudeville and the garment trade, two industries notably hospitable to Jews. And that is a key factor here is that these are industries that are hospitable to Jews. Why? Because there were a lot of industries that were not hospitable to Jews. They, there were many places where Jews could not work. And that goes all the way back to the middle ages, which we're going to take a small detour right now. So, like I said, we're talking about Ashkenazi Jews. What does Ashkenazi mean? Ashkenazi means of Germanic descent, which means that these Jews came from the Germanic regions as well as France and eventually due to discrimination and due to being pushed out pushed out of of you know their towns where they lived uh, eventually spread to Russia Ukraine Eastern Europe and that's where my family first came from the reason why my family left pogroms what is a pogrom it's sort of like uh it's sort of like a riot uh, looking to hang and burn Jewish people. And so my family had to pick up and leave their city, their town, and came to America as a result of a pogrom. So, but this was hap this would happen all over the place. And particularly in the Middle Ages, Jews were not allowed to really have any farmland. So the only way that a Jews could really earn a trade within the societies of where they were living, because you have to understand, Jews, we were all we all left Israel. That's what's known as the diaspora, 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 whatever, diaspora. I think it's diaspora, right? Um, sorry, terrible at butchering these words. But basically, basically, Jews spread out all over this, all over the place, and tried to assimilate assimilate into society, whatever society they were in. And the Jews during the Middle Ages, the Jews, you know, in England and what have you, just all over the place, they were not allowed to 
you know, have farmland. And so what did they do? They became money lenders. Why? Because the Christian and the Catholic churches, uh, I guess it was, it was sinful to be money lenders. So they gave those jobs to the Jews. And that's how Jews became synonymous with banking and with money and the, the terrible anti-Semitic tropes that come with that. Right. So it's like everything that, that has sort of been adopted into this anti anti-Semitic mythology is usually a result of some practical truth, some practical reality. In this case, Jews are not allowed to do this. So they did this instead. And therefore they are synonymous with this thing moving forward. And it's the same thing with Hollywood. So to say that Jews control Hollywood is such a stupid thing in the first place because the reality is, I mean, Jews kind of built Hollywood. We built Hollywood or they built Hollywood. I didn't build it personally, but they built Hollywood because they couldn't do anything else or it was, I should say, it was hospitable to them. And, you know, the thing about immigrants, not all immigrants, but a lot of immigrants, immigrants just want to assimilate, man. They come to a country looking for opportunity and they want to become a part of the country. And for Jews who experience a lot of trauma as a result of anti-Semitism, a lot of them just want to assimilate. And they talk about this really, they do this a lot better, discuss a lot better than I can in this article. So let's keep reading. We're, we're going to keep reading this, okay? Um, so many of these Jewish Americans came from vaudeville and the garment trade. Mind you, one of the most, one of the most iconic, famous to this day, famous Jewish vaudevillian acts that translated into that Jew, the, the studio system, the Jewish studio system or the studio system, whatever, Three Stooges. The Three Stooges started as a vaudeville act. And eventually they moved to talking pictures. There you go. So um, these were two industries that were notably hospitable to Jews. So the Jews go where, where things are hospitable to them. Vaudeville theaters presented variety shows, a singer followed by an animal act, followed by slapstick comedy, and so on and so on. Theaters in immigrant neighborhoods had shows in different languages, including Yiddish. Okay, so, so we've talked about this before on the channel. The name from us, the name of this channel is Yiddish. My last name is Yiddish, okay? That's the word from, frum. It's actually frum, which means to be a very religious Jew, which is kind of ironic as I am not jewishly religious i'm more cult i am a culture i am culturally and ethnically jewish i am not religiously jewish in that kind of way but um yeah they are uh they are uh, uh oh yeah right sorry yiddish yiddish from us is yiddish it's awesome so in any case um and the thing about Yiddish too is Yiddish is a dying language. It doesn't, you know, with every generation that passes passes away, um, Yiddish becomes more and more obscure, much like Ladino. Ladino is the Sephardic version of Yiddish. So basically you take Hebrew and you mix it with German and you get Yiddish. That's what Yiddish is. And Ladino is Hebrew with Spanish. They're sort of like bastardized languages, kind of like Padois, 
You know what I'm talking about? Patois. I believe Patois is, uh, there's Patois English, but there's also Patois French, if I'm not mistaken. Like Haitian French is Patois, something like that. And these are just, these are just languages that are sort of uh, slapped together in that kind of way. Um, and so a lot of this vaudeville stuff was in, you know, the song Yiddish Charleston. This appeal to immigrants and low ticket prices made the overwhelmingly white Christian upper class look down on vaudeville. So it's like, you know, this, you know, this upper that's white upper class, maybe not wanting to mix it up with immigrants as much, that sort of thing. They're like, they're not interested in vaudeville. So they did nothing to keep Jewish entrepreneurs out of the business. That's the bottom line. So the Jews go where they can flourish, you know, and that's exactly what happened. The Jews were welcomed into the vaudeville industry or didn't have to deal with backlash or being pushed out of the vaudeville industry. So they invested Jewish immigrants, many of them arriving with tailor tailoring skills similarly thrived in the garment industry since it didn't require much training or money to operate a small clothing factory. And look, here's some pictures. This is a 1913 Yiddish theater production in New York city. And up here, we already saw that. That was the, the big five. When movies were introduced in the late 1890s, success in this new industry required many of the same skills as, as the vaudeville and garment trade. Salesmanship was the big one. Film producers had to sell their movies to theater owners, and theater owners had to sell them to audiences. For example... Carl Lommel, sorry if I butcher your name, Carl, uh, who's a Hungarian-born Jew, sold furs. Sorry. Sorry. No, no, no. Carl marketed clothing before starting Universal Pictures. So Universal Pictures started by a Jew. Adolf Zucker, a Hungarian-born Jew, sold furs before founding Paramount Pictures, founded by a Jew. And Jesse Lasky, uh, an American-born Jew, one of his partners at Paramount was previously a vaudeville horn player. Uh, and there were many others like uh, Shmoyle. <laughs> Shmoyle, love that name. Shmoyle Geb Gelbfitz. That's a Polish-born Jew who changed his name to Samuel Goldwyn once he quit selling gloves and entered the film business. And then you have Marcus Lowe, like Lowe Cinemas. Marcus Lowe, a Jew, an American-born Jew, also came from vaudeville before pivoting to movie theaters, AMC, Lowe's, and production. So here's my, here's the bottom, here's the bottom line here, okay? Here's the bottom line. You sit here going, oh, you know, the Jews control Hollywood. The Jews founded Hollywood, man. Did you just hear, did you just hear what I said? Did you just hear all the shit that I read? It's just so, it's just so ridiculous. Here's the, here's the, here's a great, here's a great, so here's the thing. Jews didn't invent movies. Jews didn't invent movie studios. But black, you know, black musicians did invent hip hop, right? Black musicians invented hip hop and rap. And typically, if you look at the hip hop rap industry, the majority of the artists there are fucking black. 
<laughs> I mean, it would be like saying the equivalent of this this notion, this anti-Semitic notion. It would be like saying that you know black people control the hip hop rap industry, and that's not true. We know that's not true. You know what I'm saying? So it's like just because Jews founded these studios and you know really built built it up into what it becomes does not mean that they are you know uh part of this shadow cabal that can make or break or ban any any which person as again mentioning Mel Gibson who said some of the most who's one of one of the most high profile actors to say some of the most anti-semitic shit ever right um say some of the most anti-semitic shit ever and he's still working that's all i wanted to, that's really all i wanted to say about this whole thing about dave Chappelle and this notion of 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 what of jews you know control controlling hollywood you know um, but that's really not the biggest problem. I mean, that's also, it's not the biggest problem. The bigger problem is amplifying. We are amp. It's the amplification of, of, of uh, doubling down on Jewish stereotypes. That's the bottom line. That is the bottom line. So, so he came from, okay, so sorry, let me get back to this. He also came from vaudeville before pivoting to movie theaters, AMC Lowe's and production. These, okay, ready? These Jewish American entrepreneurs succeeded because motion pictures were widely popular and Gentile industries, Gentile is, I, you know, I don't really like this word Gentile because it's just not a nice, it's not a nice word. It basically isn't, it's a, it's a it's sort of pejorative word for non-Jews, I guess. Um, let me look up exactly, exactly what it means. Just not Jewish. That's literally what it means. Um, I believe today it's kind of pejorative. I don't know. I, I don't use that word personally uh, in the same way. Or maybe Gentile is okay. It's goyim. The goyim is, is not as nice of a word as it used to. In any case, Gentile industrialists largely wanted nothing to do with this business. The movie-going audience was primarily the working class and immigrants. Tickets were cheap and silent cinema had no language barrier. So here you have this wide form entertainment, cutting edge technology, mind you. You know, there's that myth. It's not true, but there's the myth of the first people that saw the train movie. You've all heard if go, go, go look it up on YouTube. You know, the movie of the train coming to the uh, coming forward to the um, what you call it to the uh, to the to the camera. Uh, gonna collide with the camera um and they all got up and and ran out of the movie theater screaming because they thought they were going to be hit by a camera hit by a train that's not actually true that never actually happened but it's this idea of this incredible immersive storytelling technology that does not require language so if you are an immigrant you're fresh off the boat you know whether you're italian whether you're you know whether you're a hungarian jew you know, whether you know whatever the case may be, that you can go into a movie theater and enjoy this this slapstick comedy 
that is funny whether you speak, no matter what language you are speaking. Um, this audience may, okay, so here's, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so it, it basically, it, you know, it flourished with these, with these working class immigrants because there's no language barrier. And uh, this audience made this uh, again. So the, the audiences that are being attracted here made the mostly Protestant cultural elite dismiss film as low brow and major investors considered it a passing fad. Could you imagine major investors at the time thinking that movies were a fad? As a result, some Catholic institutions even mobilized against motion pictures, believing that they were a corrupting influence. But the Jews were unaffected by Catholic teachings and mostly unbothered by this snobbery. They just, it, it, Jews remained unaffected. So you have Jews flourishing in this economic industry where they don't have to, you know, there's nobody telling them that they can't do it. It's the same thing as the Middle Ages, to an extent, and to an extent. Instead, Jewish Americans in the film industry were affected by other prejudices. Uh, Jewish studio owners were eager to assimilate as Americans, like many Jewish immigrants of their time. They sought, because again, you know, here's the here's the thing. Here's the thing. When when you face or when you faced anti-Semitism, when you've been driven out of your country, you know, when you've been driven out of your country because of your Jewishness, there's nothing you want to do. You want to find sanctuary and you want to assimilate. You just want to be like everybody else. And that is the theme here, really, of this, this story that we're telling, this history that we're telling. Uh, they sought to publicly embrace their American identity and leave old world anti-Semitism behind. Through this, uh, though the studio chairman didn't uh, angelicize their names like some Jewish performers, meaning like, you know, guys like Edward G. Robinson. We all know who he is, right? Edward G. Robinson, Kirk Douglas, and Lauren Bacall. In fact, studio exec executives' Jewish last names were used as anti-Semitic dog whistles. Bigotry remained a persistent concern for the businessmen laboring to grow their production companies from tiny startups into the Hollywood studios still operating today. Um, for example, Marcus Lowe, bought the small studio Metro Pictures in 1920 to feed movies into his theaters. You know, this is this is how we get, you know, that, you know, you've heard the term like, um, you know, the, these this idea of like monopoly or busting up a monopoly, uh, which is actually kind of the problem right now. Like we're starting to see the same pattern that we're about to read about. We're starting to see that again with companies like Netflix and Hulu, where you have companies that are both distributing and creating their own entertainment and, uh, it's not good. It's not good because uh, it's not good for a lot of reasons. That's a whole other ball of wax. Um, but he needed move. He needed to feed uh, movies into his theaters when Metro needed to grow to keep up with demand. Lowe bought out Samuel Goldwyn's company, Goldwyn Pictures. They later merged with another company owned by Louis B. Mayer, a Russian-born Jew. 
Their combined company was called Metro Goldwyn Mayer. The head of MGM, Louis B. Mayer, was so eager to be perceived as an assimilated American, he adopted the 4th of July as his birthday and celebrated it lavishly every year with his employees. So that is the birth of MGM. The movies produced by Hollywood studios downplayed cultural and religious differences and, ins and instead projected inclusivity onto American screens. However, social barriers around race proved much harder for movies to overcome. And I mean, we saw that that's most prevalent with, you know, black actors around those times who still faced discrimination. Um, Hollywood movies created a new homogenous white American culture identity that was so widely embraced by the movie going public, it became the American identity. And it's so interesting. What's so interesting about this is that it's amazing how movies sort of blend, blend that all together. What's going on, Angus? How are you? Welcome to tonight's stream. Um, the, the idea that movies, these that are being seen by large amounts of people, you know, through these, these elaborate distribution networks across the country are sort of giving us our first taste of homogenized culture in the same way that, you know, look at the internet today, look at how the internet operates today. The internet is so crazy where, you know, because you can basically look up any sort of subculture and, you know, in, participate in it, like you don't have to be distinctive to the region from where that subculture comes from anymore. You don't have to like live in that small little enclave where that thing is happening. You could just simply go on the internet and, and identify as it or participate as it. The internet is a wide distribution network that has sort of homogenized a lot of subculture. And in a weird kind of way, movies sort of established a, you know this homogenized american identity which is just a a whole other ball of wax that could be uh that could be sort of um uh, dissected if you wanted uh the movies offered a version a vision sorry a vision uh of a great melting pot that american society was still thriving to become Jewish creators and businessmen seeking assimilation ultimately invented the culture that defined 20th century America, ironically leaving it up to later generations to make that culture more inclusive of other identities such as race, gender, and sexual orientation. I mean, look at right now. I just saw Black Panther uh, 2, Wakanda Forever, which is, you know, kind of an amazing like feat in that it is a ginormous uh, four quad tent pole, big budget Hollywood film with female black female actresses as its leads. That's going to make hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, um, it's amazing. It's amazing how uh, where how far things have come, right? uh from 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 back in the day where you literally i mean going from from blackface to like that it's kind of crazy
Eventually, the first generation of Jewish American studio honchos retired or passed away. Their successors faced a changing industry by the 1960s. Hollywood studios were making fewer and more expensive films at greater financial risk. To hedge against these risks, the studio owners sold their companies to larger corporations. So what are you going to do when you're when you're making bigger pictures? Because if you you know what it's you know what they say, right? You need to. So I don't know if I agree with this, especially, you know. The idea of that, that's a beautiful thing about like punk rock and DIY, right, is that the idea of like, you know, uh, doing it yourself, spending a little bit of money and trying to get a bigger return, that sort of thing. This idea of, you know, the capitalist idea of like, you've got to spend money to make money, right? And that holds so true in the movie business, at least with big budget movies. So there's really two mentalities, or you could be like Blumhouse. Blumhouse, they spend, you know, a million dollars, which is a very small amount for any budget, you know, any time, like a tiny little budget. And, you know, uh, potentially can make $200 million at the box office. 200, what is that? Is that a 2,000 or 200? 200 sorry i can't do math that's a 200 return on investment you know spend less money on a high concept idea and hope to to make a big box office versus the marvel you know sort of way big blockbuster marvel film where we're going to spend 300 million dollars to make it and we're going to spend another 300 million dollars to market it or maybe we're going to spend 200 million dollars to market it and we're hoping it's going to do 900 million dollars at the box office and even then you know with with all the cre uh, clever creative accounting that there is oh well this didn't really make any money you know i think there's something i forgot what movie it was maybe it was rocky i think it's rocky apparently rocky has never on on paper a lot of blockbusters a lot of blockbusters that we love um, on paper, have have technically uh, have technically never made a profit, something like that. Um, in any case, you, you're going to be. It's going to be less risk if you sell yourself to a bigger company and um, not have to worry about uh, going going out of business that sort of thing um kirk kirkorian I'm, I'm just i'm just zero for zero on these last names tonight with pronunciation a major investor in las vegas casinos purchased controlling interest in mgm in 1969 that's why you have the uh you have that uh, what is that what is the name of the mgm place in las vegas could it probably because of that and paramount pictures was sold in 1966 to the gulf and western industries corporation uh, you always see that at, at the bottom of the uh of the logo for paramount pictures which is a conglomerate that includes manufacturers of auto parts clothing and mattresses they're getting into the movie business this shift from independent businesses to divisions of larger corporations proved permanent for the hollywood studios thank you it's mgm grand that's what i was thinking of it's at the tip of my tongue i couldn't remember it nevertheless the jewish american founders sorry this shift from independent business yeah right i said that already nevertheless the jewish american founders and the major hollywood studios left their mark with the culture they created enduringly popular movies that emphasize what's shared in American and Jewish values 
blurring the hyphen between Jewish and American until generations to come could consider these identities one and the same. They told stories about love for family, community, and country, stories about earning an honest living through hard work and conducting one's business fairly, stories about protecting the less powerful and standing up to bullies, stories about braving the wilderness and braving a new country to find a place called home, stories about faith, hope, healing, truth, justice, and the American way. Uh, they also leave out the Hayes Code and other things. If you go look up what the Hayes Code is, uh, that was a whole thing. So the bottom line here, to sum all of this up again, to sum up what Dave Chappelle said, after reading that whole history, this idea of the Jew of Jews being in Hollywood is it's like saying water is wet, like duh. It's like saying there, you know, again, it's like saying there's black musician, black musicians in hip hop and rap. Duh, like duh. You know what I mean? Um, it's not, I mean, it's not like it's not a conspiracy. But what the where the conspiracy comes from is this idea that they're that the Jews are the Roth, the Rothschild, the Soros. Anytime you hear Soros or Rothschild, any of this, all of it, all of it is part of a, a, a vast, stupid, anti-Semitic notion that is not simply not true. It's not true. None of it is true. There's no none of we are not. We don't hold meetings. We don't have giant space lasers. I don't have horns. We don't drink the blood of babies. Okay. Um, we just, we are just people who, you know, go where we're not going to be, you know, hated hopefully and can make a living and do, do our thing. And that's literally the story of Jews across millennia. We just they just want to go where they're not going to be prosecuted for being Jews and just do their thing, you know. Uh, so this idea of Jews controlling Hollywood and being resentful of it, it's like, how can you be resentful of an industry that that is largely created because Jews couldn't do anything else? You know what I'm saying? Like, how can you be mad at that? Well, you could be mad at it if you just simply don't like Jews. That's the bottom line. Um, I kind of wish that we had started the history with the history and then got into the Dave Chappelle stuff. I think it would have been, I think it would have been a little bit better. I'll put like a timestamp so that people can jump right to the history if they want to. I mean, the overall goal of doing the stream tonight was like, okay, and I ended up just talking about it. Like, I should have just really kept it about the history because the history is what explains everything that Dave Chappelle was saying. You know, um, I'm sure that if Jews were, how about this? I'm sure if the auto industry was welcoming to Jews, then all of a sudden you'd be hearing about, oh, those Jews and their rotten, their Jewish cars. They're Jewish cars. They're going to come and blah, 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 you know? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's all so stupid. It's all so stupid. 
But um, listen, thank you for uh, coming to this TED Talk tonight. And uh, we are back all week tomorrow night. We have, if you are a fan of Street Trash, if you are a fan of Spookies, we have producer uh, Frank Farrell. I hope I said his name right. He's going to be here. We have a lot. I have a lot of questions for him. And we are going to talk Spookies and Street Trash on Wednesday. My friend Andy, who does the special effects makeup for Jeffrey Combs from Reanimator, as well as work for KMB Effects, and um, he's a musician. He's in the band Haunted Garage. He's going to be here, and we're going to be talking uh, all sorts of stuff. That's I'm really looking forward to that one. And then on Saturday, pending there shouldn't be any issue. Pending any issue, Tank Jim the Tank Dorsey is coming back for another. For the third Grim Tales, we're going to just talk so much Misfits. And um, if you have a hard-on for Michael Graves, we will be knee-deep in the Michael Graves Misfits history. As we discuss um, Tank's uh, career with the band in the 90s. So keep your eyes peeled for that. That's going to be on Saturday um i don't think i have anything else to say so thank you so much thank you to everybody for your support and um check out the patreon we got oh yeah eerie vaughn we have the fourth part of eerie vaughn that eventually will make its way onto youtube but parts two and three are not if you want to hear the full eerie vaughn interview you have to go behind the wall in order to hear it uh it's it's eerie and I were talking misfits for probably about if you including that first part, it's probably about 120 minutes all all together. The first three parts, about 120 minutes. And um part four, I really start talking more about Sam Hain. Lots of good stuff. There will be a parts five, six, and seven to come for sure. There's still three hours and 15 minutes to go through. Check that out. That's it. Nothing else to say. Peace, hair grease. We'll see you next time. Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. So I've decided to make a Patreon. What is Patreon? I don't know how to define a Patreon. Let me look it up. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it very easy for creators to get paid for the things that they're already creating. I want to do it full time. I want this to be my full time job. In my efforts to make that happen, I've set up this platform. Is it going to work? Is it going to be successful? I don't know, but I would rather try and crash and burn than not try at all. The goal is to create enough passive revenue so that I can continue to do this full time uninterrupted. Why? Because I love to do this. I love creating content. I love making videos. I love shooting films. I love doing podcasts. In case you couldn't tell, I love to talk and I never shut the fuck up. <laughs> so right now I've kept the Patreon incredibly simple. There's two tiers and that may change in the future. The Murdergram is a simple way to extend support for all of the hours and hours of free content on the channel for nothing more than a dollar. 38 cents goes to Patreon. What's a buck 38, eh? It's less than a cup of coffee. But it's a great way that you can show support for very little effort. When you divide that dollar 38 by the hours and hours and hours of time spent listening to this endless drivel of content, the dollar cost average works out. Next up is the YouTube casualty for $6.66. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
The YouTube casualty is loaded to the gills. Enjoy the archive ad-free as well as ad-free early access to special docu-style podcast videos, music reaction commentaries, and the like a month before they drop on YouTube, loaded with ads, I might add. You're also going to get exclusive content and behind-the-scenes content that is not available on YouTube or anywhere else. So you get to peek behind the veil. And believe me, there's a couple of choice pieces. Most of all, more than anything, whether you join the Patreon or not, I just want to thank each and every one of you that comes to the channel, that watches all the shows, that leaves comments, that participates, that subscribes. That's really the most important thing. This is just trying to find a way to earn a living as an artist. And with that, thank you for my TED Talk. Join the Patreon, because we need you! 66 cents.